It's great to have people who are willing to participate in our services and to contribute. Our worship team, those who do Bible readings, those who pray, those who take out the rubbish. It's absolutely awesome having people serving with us. A few announcements for you. What's happening this coming Saturday? Working Bee. Who's going to be here? Come on, work with me. Come on, come on, come on. It's going to be a great time. If you can bring along a wheelbarrow, pitchfork, shovel, something like that, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to be here. So it's worth coming just to see me have a heart attack because I'm going to be doing physical work for a change. So be there, be in the seats. We'll do some popcorn for you so you can actually be entertained as well while that happens. But it uh, would be great to just show how much that we do actually support Kev. He does a lot of work around this place. And this is just a way for us to say thank you to him one day. It's not much, hey? So let's get along to that, and perhaps you can go off and have a nice morning tea or something afterwards. There will be morning tea here, but then you can uh, go off and have something afterwards as well. Next announcement, we are actually going to be having a prayer night. When's that? Who's coming to that? Awesome, we got one person coming, hallelujah. Does that double who we had last year? No, anyway, it's going to be great. Guys, can we get excited about praying together as a family of God? I think it's an absolutely awesome thing to do. I think we should be doing it. And you know what? Let's face it. Who, who thinks prayer meetings are boring? I mean, come on. I've been to some pretty bad prayer meetings. You know what makes it different is what you contribute. So come along. You know, if God has touched your heart with a Bible verse this week, in the first few days, bring that along. Prayer is not just about praying to God and asking Him for things. Prayer is about saying, hey, this is what God has said to me. This is an awesome passage of Scripture. You know what? There's this great song that God has touched my heart with this week. Read out a few lines of that. It's all about just praising and honoring and glorifying God. And we do that well when we do it together as a family of God. We need to be connecting in prayer to our Lord and Savior. So guys, can I encourage you to come along? I'm going to be there again. I don't think I can embarrass myself there. I'll try if you want, but um, I'm generally okay in those types of meetings. The working bee, I could embarrass myself, so come along to that. Well, guys, that's all we've got as far as announcements are concerned. Uh, what I will say is welcome if this is your first time attending with us here at Sunnybank District Baptist Church. It's great to have you along. Of course, I think most of the people here are visitors because I'm still getting to know you. But um, thank you so much for coming along. And I pray, I really pray, that as you leave this place tonight, you celebrate that you've met with God. Not that you've heard a great message, not that you've heard, sung some great songs, but that you've met with God, that he has challenged you, and that you have something to change in your life so you can draw closer to him. That's what it's all about here. So guys, we're back in Colossians, which is absolutely fantastic. I love this book. It's a book I've gone through before. And, and when we spoke about doing this series, I was very excited about getting into it. Can we just have my slides up, please, guys? Thank you. So guys, where are we now when we're looking at this book of Colossians? I really hope... Because, you know, in your bulletins, you know what we're doing in Colossians. So hopefully during the week, you're reading these passages of Scripture. So when you come here, you're prepared for what we're covering. And you've already got a few ideas of what God's saying to you. And you can build upon that here. So right through this series, we need to keep coming back to why Paul wrote this letter. And at the very start, when we spoke about what was happening in Colossians, we mentioned that Paul wrote this letter to address some false teaching that was happening in the church of the Colossians. So that needs to be in the back of your mind as we work through this. And we need to never lose sight of that as we go. But we have heard that... Paul celebrated because he heard these guys are sound in the faith. And that's something we can take on as well. Paul doesn't know these people. He's never stood face to face with them. He's never had an encounter with them. But he is praising God and celebrating God for them because they have the same faith that he has. And we can praise God and celebrate God as well. When we hear about Christian brothers and sisters who come to faith all over the world and we can pray for them. 
We can ask that God will uplift them. We can ask that God will strengthen them in the faith. And that's what Paul is doing in this situation. Then Paul moves on, as we heard last week, where he spoke about the supremacy of Christ. And what he meant by the supremacy of Christ is what, you know, everything we see, everything we taste, everything we hear, Jesus Christ created that. And he is above all. Before anything was, Jesus was. Everything was created through him. Everything in the universe is held together by him. And when you have the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what Paul's saying to the Colossians church, you don't need anything else. When you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are complete. You don't need to take on anything that these false teachers are telling you. And so we come to this passage of Scripture this evening, uh, Colossians 1, 2, uh, sorry, 1, 24 to 2, 5. And Paul's come off the back of the supremacy of Christ, and he starts talking about his ministry. Now, if Paul is writing to this church to tell them about the difficulty of false prophets, why would he start talking about his ministry? Paul's not the type of guy who says, look at me, look at me, look at me, and just follow what I do. But what he's saying is, when you do ministry, there's going to be some things that happen. And so when he's talking to these people, he's saying, you know what? I'm a leader of the church. I'm writing to you from jail. It's a struggle. There's some things that are going to happen. And so Paul talks about his ministry, so these guys will not be surprised with what's going to come. And those who have read the letter to the Colossians down through the ages are taught exactly the same thing. And he says, you know what? Don't be surprised if this has happened. In fact, celebrate. Be joyful. Because if it's a struggle, you're doing the right thing. And so we're going to dig into this a little bit more uh, this evening, and I hope you enjoy the ride with me. Alrighty, I've got to skip through a couple of slides because, as usual, I put up the Bible passage. I'm too used to my old church. So, guys, the first point is there will be suffering. Okay? If, if we are living for Jesus the way that we should, we will suffer for Christ. And I think this is a point that Paul brings out very, very well uh, in this passage. So before we get into this, I want to pray. I know people have been praying all night. That's great. I love prayer. But uh, I just want to pray that... Christ will open our hearts and our minds to what we're going to hear this evening. So let's just pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your presence in this place this evening. I thank you, Lord, that so many people here have a desire to know you more. And Lord, I pray by power of Holy Spirit, you will fall in this place this evening. You don't need an invitation, Lord, but we ask you to come. We ask you to touch the hearts of each and every person here. We ask that you will minister to each person as they have need. Lord, there could be people here even now who've been ministered to enough. They're, they're just full of you, Lord, because... They needed a touch from you, and you've done that already. But Lord, more than anything, I want us to encounter you through, as, through this passage of Scripture that we're going to be studying this evening. I pray that you'll change people's hearts, Lord. I pray that they will hear your voice. I pray that they will respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we think about what Jesus was doing when he came to this earth, and what he faced as a result, it should not surprise us that there will be suffering for believers. Jesus came to reconcile man to God. He came to put man back into a right relationship with his heavenly father. So if our mandate is the same thing, to reconcile man to God, why should we be any different to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Why should we not suffer also? If we have that misconception that the Christian life should be an easy life, that everything should be rosé, Paul puts that to rest fairly quickly. He talks about suffering 
that he is facing as a result of being a minister for Christ. And there's much said about what Paul really means in this passage of Scripture. And to be quite honest, it bends with your head pretty quickly, doesn't it, when you read uh, what he actually says here. But I think when we take the commission that Paul has, it stands to reason that if Jesus suffered as a result, then Paul, who has the same commission, is also going to suffer. And that's what he writes to this church. And even before his ministry starts, Jesus lays the foundation for Paul. Do you remember Paul was called Saul and he's walking along that road and there's this blinding light and he gets knocked off his horse and he gets carried off to this city by his friends who lead him because he's blind and everything like that. And Jesus says, you know, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And he's led off into this city and then Jesus appears to a guy called Ananias. Could you imagine how freaky it was for that guy? It's like, hey, Ananias, you know that dude that's going around killing Christians absolutely everywhere? Uh, those that follow me? Yeah, I want you to go and see him. Could you imagine how freaky that was him for him? I, I don't think I would have done it. I would have been like Jonah. But anyway, Ananias is told to go and see Saul. And Ananias explains to Jesus who, he, who Saul really is, because I'm sure Jesus didn't know. So Ananias makes that step and says, hey, you know who this dude is? And Jesus goes, yeah, I know. But I'll tell you what, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And he's talking about Saul. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And Ananias goes, he must have been skipping as he went because Saul was going to suffer. No, possibly not. But we know the rest of the story, don't we? And this guy's life was so totally turned around and he became an incredible ambassador for our Lord Jesus Christ. So when Paul says that he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, he's not saying that anything more was needed for what Jesus did upon the cross. That's not what he's saying here, although it has been interpreted that way. He's not saying that there's salvation with Christ, but then you've got to do this other bit to get a little bit more. He's speaking in that language because that's what was actually being taught. That's what the false prophets were doing at the time. And he's saying that's not the case. And the suffering that Jesus had upon the cross for your sin and for my sin was a work of redemption. And when Jesus had completed that work, what did he say? It is finished. Nothing more is needed. And so, although there's pain and suffering since Christ's death, no one will ever suffer like Jesus Christ suffered because it is no longer necessary. Jesus died once and for all, for all sins. And guys, I need to tell you, we as Christians really struggle with this concept of sin. And if we see my hand, I wish I didn't have my, only my Bible up here, but if my hand is our lives and we pile our sin on there, just think about those sins we deliberately sin, those things that we accidentally do, the things that we do not even knowing that they are sin. We create this barrier between us and God. And then when Jesus died on the cross, he said, you know what, basically lay it on me. And so all those sins were transferred to Jesus. And we have this open channel to God because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Do we understand that? What sins are left that Jesus didn't pay for? You know, I've been in churches and I've said, if I go out that door tonight and I deliberately commit a sin, is that forgiven? And there's been people sit there and go, let's go back. Sins I've deliberately committed sins I accidentally committed, things I unknowingly 
all of them are on Christ. There is nothing between me and the Lord. There is still the need for repentance. There is still the need for asking for forgiveness. But Jesus paid the price once and for all. And all we need to do is ask forgiveness. If you are struggling with sin, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Come and speak to me. I'd love to see the freedom that you can have in Christ. And that's the freedom that Paul is talking about. That's what he's talking about in this passage of Scripture. He finds himself suffering in a similar way to what Jesus Christ did. He will have similar persecution to what Jesus had. He will have similar rejection to what Jesus had. He will have people who have the same passion and desire to see him dead as what they wanted to see Jesus dead. But he will never have to face what Jesus faced upon the cross. And the thing is, Paul rejoices in this suffering. Why? Because he knows that in his suffering, the gospel is being advanced. He knows that they're only pushing back against him because great things are happening. He knows, especially with the religious leaders of the day, that they are actually jealous because great things are happening. And you know what? Paul doesn't say, this is me. Paul says, this is Jesus. Him who I was persecuting. Him who I was killing his followers, he saved me. And it was all for his glory. So Paul, his suffering, same as Jesus. So he will suffer in his moral character. There will be suffering physically. And ultimately, for a lot of the disciples too, there will be ultimately death as part of their suffering. And back in Philippians 3, 10 to 11, Paul says, this is what he wants in his life, that I may know him, Jesus Christ, and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the hope of glory. He's looking forward to that day when, like Christ, he will rise to new life in him. He will have a perfected body. He will be living in glory with Jesus. No more sin, no more heartache, no more pain. Have you any idea how incredible that's going to be? I don't understand it, but man, I'm so looking forward to it. I know you guys, you're sitting there, you're looking at me. How could this body possibly be perfected? I know, right? I know. But it's going to happen. It is going to happen. And I'm going to have a new body in heaven. And it's going to be an incredible thing. And when we think about the suffering that Paul has in Scripture that we read through, and let's face it, it was incredible. It is solely because of his commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's his humble obedience to serve Jesus in all that he does. And not only Jesus, Paul also serves Christ's church. He wants to see them grown up in the faith. And we know that Paul was determined to make the Word of God fully known. And this commission is not Paul's alone. It's a commission that we all have, not just the pastors and the elders of the church. It's all of ours. And it's a call upon Paul's life, and he was fully obedient to, and he kept the word of God central in his ministry. So the second point I want to make this evening is we have to keep the gospel central in our lives. Colossians 1, 25 to 27 says, Of which I became, Paul, a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope 
of glory. And Paul understands his purpose or stewardship is to make the word of God fully known. He describes this as the mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations, but which is now revealed to the saints. Who are the saints? Anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, anyone who calls upon him as their Lord and Savior. You and me. And he further says that this mystery is Christ. And it's not just Christ, but it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. When we make that commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, that first step, the justification, the being put right into being put back into right relationship with God, we receive the seal of Holy Spirit. Christ in us. It's an incredible gift. And it empowers and equips us. But it also challenges us and charges us. And the incredible thing is, this side of Messiah's birth, God's plan is not for the Jews alone. And in fact, it never was. But it includes the Gentiles. It includes us. And when we think about what used to happen in the Old Testament, we as Gentiles, well, guys, we've got some bad news. We would have had to have gone and got circumcised. That would have been a whole heap of fun, wouldn't it? So that would have had to happen first. Then we would have had to go to the temple to worship God. We wouldn't have been permitted to go and do that anywhere else. We would have had to participate in all the festivals that they had. We would have had to obey the 690-odd laws that uh, the Jewish nation had. And that's how we would have worshipped God. And we would have had no choice. That is what happened in the Old Testament. And so when the Jews were learning about Messiah coming, they actually believed Messiah was going to come and he was going to overthrow the oppressors that were ruling them at the time. And the oppressors were the Romans, an incredible nation, a nation that was so powerful that they haven't seen their like until the 1900s. Is that so incredible? I, I find that amazing that they were a nation that was so great. And the Jews expected Messiah was going to come and overthrow the Roman oppressors. The incredible thing is, it was always intended that Messiah was going to do something much, much better. Something far greater, something that was so far beyond their comprehension that many of them didn't get it. But Jews and Gentiles alike, this was the plan for Messiah, Jews and Gentiles alike would be released from the bondage of sin and death. Sin and death. And I know we can't get our heads around that, but that is absolutely incredible. So many lives, even as Christians, even now, and I know some of you are sitting here tonight, are held back by the sin that so easily entangles you. And you can't see the freedom that is promised in this word. You can't see the freedom that is promised in the whole Bible. Where you no longer need to be a slave to sin. You can be released from that. Jesus Christ can provide that for you. So again, I ask you, come and speak to me if you have issues with that. But they will no longer. Those of us who have Holy Spirit, death is the last frontier. I've had experience recently of a number of Christian people who've had to cross that last frontier. And it is such an incredible blessing to see these guys who, yeah, there's a little bit of, I, I, I don't know what's coming. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen as I leave this world. But I know Jesus is going to be waiting for me. And, and there's this incredible hope in their life. And, you know, you young people, it's like, yeah, you never think about death. You're never going to get there. I was one of those guys. I was like, you know, 
I'm never going to be saying, it's going to be so cool to be with Jesus. It's going to be so cool to die. And here I am, 25, and I'm just like, wow, it's going to be so cool to be with Jesus. And I'm so looking forward to that time when I cross that last frontier of death. And yeah, there's just, it's not, it's not a fear of no hope. It's just like, how's that going to work? How, how do I get from here to there? But I know Jesus is going to be there. I know I'm going to see him face to face. And I also know there's going to be this awesome party, and we're going to celebrate communion together. I, that blows my mind. You know, Jesus said that at the Last Supper. And, and I can't wait to drink that cup with him. I don't know what that's going to taste like, but just to be with Jesus and do that, that's going to be awesome. It's going to be so good. The hope in glory. It's all based upon the promise of life eternal with our Lord and Saviour. And the word of God that Paul so fervently declares is Jesus. That's it. When we look at John 1.1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the incredibly good news of Jesus is the gospel, if you like, is that Jesus, the creator of all we taste and see, as I said before, everything that is around us, he came and dwelt amongst us. He lived this incredibly perfect life. He didn't do anything wrong. And then he died upon the cross so that he could take my sins and your sins upon himself, pay the price once and for all, so we could be put back into relationship with God. And you know what? He died upon the cross. He was dead and buried. And he rose on the third day, not only to prove that he had power over death, but also to prove that he had the victory. And he sits at the right hand of God, interceding for you and I. You know, again, it just blows my mind that Jesus is actually there right beside God. And he's going, hey, God, you know what? Charlie needs this. You know what? God, Charlie, Charlie just thanked us for what we did for him last week. You know what, God, Charlie, he's going to be facing some trials soon. Can, can we just put someone in his life who will be able to train him up so that he continues to walk in our way? Jesus knows what we need. And he intercedes for us with the Father every moment of every day. And you know what? I think that's worth celebrating. I think that's something to get excited about. But that is not the good news. You know, so many of us don't talk to people about the good news of Jesus Christ because we think we've got to know the Bible inside out, back to front. You know what the most incredible good news is? The most incredible good news is what Jesus has done in your life. The most powerful story you can tell is the story about how Jesus has changed you, about how you now have hope in eternity. You now know you have a future. And you've gone from darkness to light. You've gone from being lost to being found. You've gone to being a person without hope to a person who has hope. It doesn't mean you don't have doubts anymore, but you have this foundation that you're building upon, that we as a congregation, as a people of God, are building each other up with, who are gathering to pray, study God's word, sharpen each other. That's what our walk is all about. And Paul is always considering how he should live for Jesus. And we need to be doing the same. And what's the word of God tell us? In Matthew 16, 24, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. I've said this before. Think about the man who takes up his cross. 
He was naked. He had nothing. All his clothes were gone by that stage. He was humiliated. He had no rights left. There was no sense of appeal or anything like that. There was one road, one path to take. He could not sway neither left nor right. And so when we make the choice to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we're saying, you know what? I'm dead to everything that I used to pursue. And I'm following that path, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And I'm not going to sway left or right. And with God's help, I'll remain true to you. That's what it means to take up your cross daily. Do we do it? Our lives should reflect that we believe what this word says. And we should always be ready to speak about why we believe it and the difference Jesus has made in our lives. And that is speaking about the gospel in our lives. And the thing is, it's intimidating, it's scary. And to be quite honest, there's no way that we can do that on our own. So the third thing that I believe we get out of this passage is we are strengthened by Christ. It is his power in us that allows us to do these things. Holy Spirit in us. And when we again hear from Paul, Colossians 1.29, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. And when we think about Paul, he's this incredible guy. Before his encounter with Christ, he was pretty much a self-made man, wasn't he? He was doing incredible things that he believed was for God. He was very zealous for God. It was misplaced, but he was a very powerful man. I have no doubt that he had a magnificent house and he had anything that he could possibly desire. And he was a man who knew how to get things done. Again, I have no doubt at all about that. And then he comes to faith. All that stripped away. And the work he does is incredibly taxing. It takes a lot of his energy. I don't know about you, but if I was beat up on a regular basis, it'd possibly be pretty hard to maintain the course. But Paul just has this way of continuing on. One foot in front of the other. And the word for toil here literally means to be fatigued by hard work. That's what it literally means. So when he talks about his ministry, he sees it as toil. And so it's labor or being wearied. And Paul is saying that this ministry is involved and is very exhausting. But with Christ's help, he's empowered and strengthened for the task before him. When we think about Paul too, I never imagined him being fearful. I never imagined him ever having any worries or concerns or anything like that, or ever being worried about his safety. But I do wonder... Was he ever worried about what the authorities would do to him? Was he ever concerned um, that, that he wouldn't be able to endure? I don't know. But when it comes to the Colossian church, were there people there who were worried about what was going to happen to them? The persecution of Christians was spreading. And were they concerned? And Paul says that Jesus works powerfully in him. And if there are any fears, any doubts, any concerns, I have no doubt Paul would have prayerfully taken them to Jesus. He would have laid them at his feet and he would have allowed his concerns to be shared with Jesus and I'm sure they would have been relieved and Christ would have strengthened him. We know this passage from Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The challenge for us is to speak to people about Jesus and so many of us shy away from that. 
We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Dare to take that first step. Pray about it first, but I am sure that Jesus will meet you in your time of need and he'll encourage you and allow you to make that step of faith. What is it that Paul says he's called to do in this passage of Scripture? I believe he says he's called to make disciples. Colossians 1.28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Mature in Christ. Paul's aim or goal in ministry was to make disciples. And how does he do this? He proclaims the truth about a person. Him we proclaim. That's what it actually says in this passage of Scripture. Him we proclaim. And we seem to complicate this so much, don't we? When we speak about our faith... And if we were to say that Christianity is simply about him who we proclaim, it's almost like we're dumbing it down to make it easy for you. But that's what it's all about. It is Jesus who we proclaim. It's what Christianity really is. And the very core of our faith is the fact that Christianity centers around a person and the relationship that we need to have with that person. And this is twofold, isn't it? When we look at this passage of Scripture, we warn everyone and we teach everyone. So many people don't like that warning bit. So many people don't want to go there. But that's what we're called to do. We warn everyone. For non-believers, this is about warning them of the consequences of what will happen if they don't make a decision for Jesus. I recently went to see one of my mates who was in real estate with me in Gladstone. I'd spoken to him about the Lord Jesus Christ before. He's six years younger than me, so that would make him 19 by what I said before. No, he's actually 44, but anyway. And this guy had a massive heart attack. Quarter of his heart's gone. Never to be fixed. He's just had a pacemaker put in. And I was there with him. And, you know, you get to that awkward bit where he knows you're going to talk about God. And, and he just said, Charlie, we've spoken about this before, mate. He's still not interested. And it's crazy. And, and, and our desire is to see these people give their lives to Christ. That's what we're about. And if he doesn't make that decision, there's no happy ending. He's not going to be with his mates. He's going to be suffering in hell, separated from everything good, because God is good. He's going to be separated from everything good for all of eternity. That's our warning for non-believers. There's consequences for the choices they make in rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. But this also involves warning believers. And this is about incorrect thinking. This is about poor choices. This is about bad behavior. And we need to do that as Christian brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can grow up in the faith, so that we can present people mature in the faith. And let's face it, I'm not perfect. And I know 99% of the people here would agree. We all make mistakes. We all do things wrong. And I would really appreciate people coming alongside me and saying, hey, Charlie, you know what? I've just noticed this, mate. Let's, let's pray about this. Let's ask God's wisdom in the midst of this situation. Let's ask for a change of heart towards that situation so that we can honor God together. The second thing is to teach each other. This involves reading and explaining scriptures. And I think, um, Daryl, 
David. Daryl, sorry. David. Life groups, that'd be a pretty good place to do that, wouldn't it? Reading, explaining Christian, explaining scripture, challenging each other, wrestling with what scripture says. And, and for us as teachers, hopefully we're doing that in a way that makes scripture easily to un- easy to understand, that you can apply it to your life. And if I ever say anything that you don't really get, come and talk to me. I won't bludgeon you over the head with a baseball bat. I I want people to understand the points that we're trying to make. And again, this teaching and growing together is not something that's reserved just for pastors. It's something we should be doing together as a family of God. Every person who's come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ has something they can contribute, has something they can say. And so this is about living and caring for each other. So we're called to be teaching and warning and this comes in one-on-one settings, you know, in discipling perhaps, in um, mentoring situations, in prayer partners, in one-on-one accountability groups. All of those things are things that we can do on a one-on-one basis. But then it's broader than that as well as in larger groups. You know, it may be in a life group situation. It may be in a prayer group situation. It may be a Christian social group where you guys, there's a heap of you who just like doing a certain thing. There's a whole heap of people that play touch footy, I'm told. I've been asked about four times to play. I'd need to be subbed after I ran on the field. I wouldn't even get to play but this is your Christian social group why can't you bring Christ into that why can't you be praying before the game why can't you just open the word and say this is what God encouraged me with this week why can't we be texting each other and saying, hey guys just want to encourage you this week this is what God has spoken to me I want to pray for you why don't you pick the phone up and talk to someone that you know is housebound it's like hey I was just thinking of you this is what this is all about share a word of God in those conversations as well Paul's call is to present people mature in the faith. And that's what we're called to do too. In our context right now, this at the very least is talking about everyone who's around you right here this evening. This is about how you minister to those sitting around you. And you know what? There's going to be people here that you absolutely do not get on with. Can I challenge you to pray for those people, to ask God to teach you to love them? It's not going to happen overnight, guys, but you have to be serious. You have to pray blessings upon these guys. You have to ask God to pour his heart out upon them, upon you to change your heart towards them so that you can love them, even though they're that weird, quirky person that you don't necessarily will ever get on with. You still have to love them. But we want to present each and every person maturing Christ. You know, could you imagine the tragedy if we got to heaven and only 50% of the people here made it? I don't know if that's even possible. I don't know your hearts. I don't know how you are before Christ. But I prefer to see absolutely everyone who's here tonight standing in God's presence come that day. And it's up to us. We have to encourage and strengthen each other in the faith. We have to build each other up. The thing is, it's the work that we've been called to be a part of as well. And of course, Holy Spirit also plays a part in the midst of that. But how many of us experience those times when we read the Bible or sit in church and quite frankly, we think it sucks. We think it's pretty bad. Nothing happens. You know, we're just like, I don't know why I'm bothering to read the word. You know, it doesn't ever say anything to me. It's just words on a page. And you know, you you quite often spruik this to your pastors. Praise God, no one's done that in my time here yet. Don't do it. No, actually, yeah, come and do it. But the thing is, we, we have this idea that, well, you know what? I'd prefer to sit at home and watch the grass grow, watch paint dry on the walls. You know, it's much more interesting than hearing someone speak about Jesus or reading the Word. Can I suggest that the Word's not the problem? Can I suggest that the speaker up the front is not the problem? Sure, there'll be people that you engage with a bit better than others, but the problem is with you. 
You have to get excited about God's word. And as Pastor Darrell said this morning, you know, when you get that thing where you're driving home from work and why would I want to read my Bible? That's an invitation by God. When you get home, pick it up and read it. You know, when you do your morning Bible study, don't make it a five-minute flying, five you know, flying through the door, hitting the floor on your knees and go, God, be with me today. Yep, read one verse, praise God, out the door. Immerse yourself in God's Word. Read chunks of Scripture. If you don't understand it, read it again. If you don't understand it, read it again. I always say three times at the very least, and then ask God to challenge you on that through the day. Ask Him to just lay it upon your heart, to speak to you through what you were reading. Guys, we've got to get over that dullness of heart. We've got to get excited about our faith. We've got to get excited about reading God's Word. We've got to get excited about gathering together as people of God. We've got to get excited about supporting each other and upholding each other in power. So part of presenting ourselves as mature involves a change of attitude in how I read the Word, how I listen to speakers and how I apply that word to my life and the only way to know Jesus more to draw closer to him is to be a student of his word regardless of your age experience or knowledge don't ever come to me and tell me that you don't need to be in a life group because you're mature in the faith I will get out my baseball bat sorry that's that senseless violence again I've been spoken to about that sorry guys Tonight, the four points, suffering for Christ, keeping gospel central, strengthened by Christ, and making disciples. If we do this, then we will be the church that Paul talks about in Colossians 2, 1 to 5. Paul says of the Colossian church that he rejoices to see their good order and the firmness of their faith in Christ. It indicates that they are doing what they should be doing. They're standing together. They're supporting each other. They're opposing those who bring false teaching. They're standing upon the promises that the Lord Jesus Christ has made in his word. They have a firm foundation and they have not been moved when those false promises prophets came in can we say we would not be moved if I was up here spruiking something that was not from God we need to stand firmly together we need to be students of the word so that we know when there's a little twist on what scripture really says and we need to challenge the pastors we need to challenge each other we need to grow together in the faith that's where we need to be encouraging each other, being knitted together in love, meaning our lives should be interwoven together. That's what a body's all about. Bodies don't work if an arm's over there, a leg's over there, the kidneys are back there. It just doesn't happen. We need to love and care for each other, which is continually seeking to move each and every person closer to God with every encounter we have together. If we're like that, we'll be able to stand firm upon our convictions. We'd not be swayed by the teaching that is even slightly off where it should be. So guys, that's it. So tonight, perhaps you've shied away from this suffering for Jesus. Perhaps you realise that if you were to open your mouth in your workplace, at your school, at your university, that there's going to be a whole world of pain fall upon you and you don't want to face that. Perhaps that's you. And perhaps Jesus is saying tonight, you know what? I will go with you, I will go before you, but I need you to put your hand up and say, you and me, Jesus, all the way. Perhaps the gospel 
hasn't been that central controlling factor in your life and you realize now that you've had this separation between your church life and your work life or your private life and you're like yeah Jesus you know what I realize I've got to give all this up to you I can't have this separate life anymore I want want to honor you in everything that I do perhaps you're like I used to be where you relied on your own strength and abilities and let's face it I'm a pretty awesome speaker sometimes maybe not tonight but I used to rely on my own strength and ability I thought I could get myself out of each and every situation and you know what I had my legs cut out from underneath me and I, I was left in a position where all I had was Jesus and perhaps that's you perhaps where you think you can do it all on your own and Jesus is saying "Uh, uh-uh. you need to put to death your old self you need to take up your cross you need to follow me And perhaps you've never even considered the fact that you're responsible to make disciples of others. Perhaps that is just so outside of your realm of understanding that you're just like, how can I even do that? If that is spoken to any of you guys, I'm going to pray right now. I want you to respond to Jesus. I don't want you to stand up. I don't want you to raise your hands. I don't want you to do anything. This is between you and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to respond to him. And I want you to say, Lord the answer is yes what was the question because that's how we should live for Christians as Christians we should be willing to do whatever Jesus tells us to do and my challenge to you tonight is if you pray that tonight just come and see me at the front I'd love to pray and encourage you I'd love to just celebrate with the angels in heaven that you've made that decision this evening let's just pray and then I'll hand over to the worship team I'm going to get wrapped over the knuckles, aren't I? Let's just pray. Father God, thank you so much for your presence here this evening. I thank you, Lord, that you have challenged me first and foremost with this word that has been proclaimed this evening. I thank you, Lord, that for each and every one of us, there has been times where we shied away from that suffering for Jesus. But I thank you that you've called us back to a point this evening, Lord, where you're saying that's not the way it should be. That, Lord, we should be sold out for you. We should be willing to take up our cross and follow you. We should be willing and pleased and overjoyed, just as Paul was, to celebrate in the suffering because that's part of following Jesus. And, Lord, so many of us have failed to make the gospel central in our lives. It hasn't been that controlling factor, Lord. And we want to ask for your forgiveness. We want to say, Lord, tonight... Although we're going to continue to mess up sometimes, tonight, Lord, we want to say, Lord, we want to follow you. We want you to control our life. We want you to be the mainstay of all that we do. Father, for some of us this evening, we've relied on our own strength and abilities. And Lord, we just want to repent of that as well. We want to turn away from the attitude where we can do it on our own. And we want to thank you for those strengths and abilities that you've given us. But now, Lord, we want to use them to bring glory to you. And Lord, that's not just in a church situation. That's in our workplaces. That's in school. That's in our universities. That's in our neighborhoods. We want to be the type of people who create change with whoever we encounter. And we don't want it for our glory. We want it for your glory, Lord. And Lord, for each of us, I pray that you'll open our hearts and our minds to the fact that we can make disciples. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a story to tell. And we can encourage others in the faith and mature them, Lord, in the way they should go. So, Father, finally, I just want to pray by power of Holy Spirit that you will continue to do your work amongst us this evening, that people will know your presence and love and comfort and support, 
that people will remember this night and know they can pray to you and ask for your strength and ability in whatever situation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.